You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thus far, our first reading will now turn to the near the end of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. We'll read the verses 1 through 10 there. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 15. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin... And the lost sons. This is the text that our sermon will be on this morning. I just say at the outset, there's a lot in these parables. I won't be touching on everything. There's certainly much, much more than we'll be able to fully address this morning. But at the same time, we will try to get at the heart of what our Lord Jesus is teaching us. And so let's read together these parables. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has lost has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his feed field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, kissed his, uh, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has filled the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Beloved Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, guests. The question that these parables in front of us, the three parables that we have, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, as the title in the NIV says, it's probably better called the parable of the lost sons, plural. The question that it forces us to ask ourselves is this. Who are you? Who are you? Who do you identify with in these parables? Are you the kind of person who hears this parable and says, yes, I'm that person? Or are you not? It's... It's the words right before our text, in fact, that 
that lead us to say that that's what's going on here. Because Jesus says right before he says these parables, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some of you have ears and some of you don't. Who are you? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus had just finished in that section before with some tough words for the crowds that were listening to him. Some tough words about what it means to be his disciple and what it means to be repentant. He had laid out difficult uh, questions for them and had asked searching questions. Uh, He had laid out difficult decisions and asked searching questions to those large crowds. Who are you? And do you have ears to hear? So who has the ears? Well, Luke immediately shows us who it is in this crowd that's listening to what the Lord Jesus has to say when he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. They wanted to hear Jesus. They were listening to him. Now, who were these people, these tax collectors and sinners? Who were tax collectors? Well, Tax collection in those days, in which Israel, or the province of Judah, was under Roman rule, worked like this. The Roman government, far away, contracted out the the duties for tax collection to companies. And those companies, those private firms, would be owned and operated, for the most part, by wealthy Romans. So, one kind of tax collector... Perhaps Zacchaeus, who we read about in chapter 19, was one of these kind of tax collectors, were very rich. They were foreigners. They were, they were businessmen. Nobody liked them, of course, because they represented the Roman regime and because they got rich off the tax collection of the regular people. That was one kind of tax collector. The other kind of tax collector was, was a native person. In this case, would have been a Jewish person. Probably like Levi, who we read about in chapter 5. He would have worked for one of these large companies and would have had the the dirty job of collecting taxes from his fellow citizens. So he would have had to go to them or man a booth somewhere along a highway, collecting tolls as people pass through. And this group was also not liked by their fellow citizens. Of course, this group was seen as being traitors, working for the Romans, and greedy. They were like tax mercenaries who were fighting against their own people when they simply went about their job of collecting tax. So tax collectors, rich or not so rich, were both not very well liked by anyone. And who are these sinners who were listening to Jesus. Well, this was a, a broad characterization. It would have included tax collectors, certainly, in them. It would, have, it would have included, in fact, all the people who were socially and culturally and even legally outcasts in that Jewish society. So God had given his law in the Old Testament, and the Pharisees had, had built sort of laws on top of that law. And those laws that the Pharisees said those laws would declare some people to be unclean and unfit for worship in the temple because of who they were, because of the job that they did. Those people were the group called sinners. 
tax collectors, prostitutes, unclean people, Gentiles, soldiers who had served for the Romans, those who worked in disreputable industries. Anyone who was excluded from society and from worship at the temple. These were the sinners. So this is a big group of the misfits, the outcasts in Israel. And this is the group that was listening to what Jesus had to say. There was another group that was listening to what Jesus had to say, but they were listening in a lot different way. This other group we also read about at the very beginning of our text. This was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They they came to listen to Jesus, but they didn't come to hear Jesus. They didn't want to learn from Jesus. No, they were jealous of these big crowds that Jesus was teaching. And they thought it was their mission to discredit Jesus. So these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these were the cultural elite. These were the leaders in those days. These were, in fact, the righteous ones. The, the Pharisees were very, were very careful and scrupulous about how they observed God's law, making sure not even, not to break one and not even to break a law that was related to another law. They were, in fact, what you might call the gatekeepers of the law. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they decided who was in and who was out. Well, clearly, these men knew that these crowds of people listening to Jesus were not those who were in. They were out. And therefore, this rabbi named Jesus, who's attracting all these all these misfits and outcasts by like droves, like a piece of rotten meat attracts flies, clearly, he is to be discredited. What kind of rabbi attracts these kind of people, after all? And so they're muttering. Now Jesus hears that muttering happening from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so he addresses them with three parables. And these three parables have become very well known. Perhaps you know the details of them. The first parable is about the lost sheep. There's, there's 99 healthy sheep. They're grazing happily. But there's one sheep who has, as sheep will do. Sheep are not very bright. Sheep are prone to wander. So this sheep, not being very bright, wanders off into the wild. And a sheep in the wild is like the last slice of pizza at a men's retreat. It's doomed. Everybody wants to eat it. So the shepherd, of course, not wanting his sheep to be eaten, goes out after the sheep. And the Pharisees listening to this, probably would have thought, well, this is fairly straightforward and reasonable. And Jesus even appeals to them. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And they probably would have said, well, okay, I can see the point. I can see a shepherd going off to find his sheep like that. But the next parable, though, kind of raises the stakes on the Pharisees because this isn't about a shepherd. Shepherd, of course, was a, a well-known and much-loved metaphor for God in the Old Testament. Pharisees could relate with that. The next parable is about a woman. What's Jesus doing telling a story about a woman? Scholars who have looked at, at writing and stories in this time have noted that rabbis didn't tell stories about women. They just didn't do that. A, a respectable rabbi 
would not tell a story about a woman. But Jesus tells a story about a woman. And he says that this woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. Well, the story is non-offensive enough. Ten silver coins, ten drachmas. Each coin would have been about a, a, a day's wages for a common laborer in those days. She has these ten silver coins. She loses one of them. And as anyone would do who realizes that they've lost something, she goes and finds it. And thankfully, she can find it. And then she invites all her friends and neighbors over for a big celebration. The third parable is the most detailed. It's the one, of course, also that would have raised the most eyebrows from the Pharisees. Now, if this parable is familiar to you, then you need to kind of forget everything you know about it and and hear it through the ears of a Jewish person in the first century A.D. Hear it through the ears of a Pharisee because it changes everything. You can rejoice over a lost sheep. You can rejoice over a lost coin. But what's going on with this son? This parable would have been too much for the Pharisees. What do I mean? Well, hear this through the ears of a Pharisee. Who is this prodigal son? He's a good-for-nothing son. He's a good-for-nothing son. He basically robs his father of his inheritance before he's, he's due it. It's like you going to your parents and saying, Hey, can you hurry up and die so I can have your inheritance? Or at least maybe the life insurance that will come if you pass away? That's a terrible thing to ask of your father. Then he goes off to a pagan land where he wastes all his money living fast and hard. And then once his money is dried up and all his self-interested so-called friends have left him, he's got nothing. And then what does he do? He hires himself out like a slave. And not only a slave, but a slave to work with the pigs. Pigs. Unclean animals. Living with unclean animals. To Jewish ears, this would have been like, like, Fingernails on a chalkboard. Ah, I can't believe someone would actually stoop to that level. Many Pharisees would have been listening to this and would have said, well, if that was my son, I wouldn't have accepted him back. And the son in the story even realized this, didn't he? He knew that he couldn't come back and expect his father, a proud Middle Eastern man, to accept him back under the conditions that he had left in. So he can, he figures he can only come back as a slave, as a servant. So Jesus tells this story in every way to invite the Pharisees to give their moral judgments and despise that youngest son. All these parables in the first place are about the lost. So, so who's the lost? Well, in the first One, the lost is the dumb sheep who wanders off. There's 99 sheep who don't decide to wander off, one who does. And the second, it's the coin. It's just like all the other coins. doesn't stick out in any way, except for one thing, it's lost, while the others aren't. And in the third, the lost is the profligate, prodigal, disrespectful, shameful, good-for-nothing son. The Pharisees would have heard this and they would have said, well, I know who Jesus is talking about. I know who the lost are. Clearly, it's one of these tax collectors and sinners gathered around him and I thank God that I'm not like one of them. 
And what would, the, what would the tax collectors and sinners have thought? They would have said, I know who these people are. I know who's lost here. I know who Jesus is speaking about with the dumb sheep, the insignificant coin, and the good-for-nothing son. It's me. He's talking about me. And so here's the question that Jesus forces us as readers to ask. Who are you? Who are you? Does this parable describe you? Who do you identify with? Are you one of those dumb sheep who have wandered off? Or are you one of the self-righteous ones standing at the side, judging the others? Are you one of the 99 that Jesus speaks about? The 91 who supposedly don't need to repent because they're not sinners like everyone else. They weren't lost in the first place, thank you very much, and they certainly don't need to be found with the likes of this ragtag bunch of misfits over here. Who are you? All three parables speak about the lost. But in all three cases, these lost are found. You have to remember that the occasion for these parables was the comment by the Pharisees and teachers of the law as they muttered to themselves and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eating with people, that was hospitality. That was a huge thing in Middle Eastern culture. Hospitality was everything. You were accepting someone. If you ate with them, Jesus was eating with these sinners, these these misfits, these outcasts. That, to them, would have been enough to completely discredit him. Don't listen to Jesus. He eats with sinners. Bad company corrupts good rabbis. But as the first two parables reveal, the Pharisees and the teachers were wrong. Jesus doesn't welcome sinners and eats with them. It's not like Jesus is hanging around. Hey, and if a sinner happens to drop in, he'll welcome him. Hey, let's let's stay for a while. I'll take anyone. No, Jesus doesn't just welcome sinners. He goes out after sinners. He goes in a headlong, frantic search for the sinners that are lost. That's the picture, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you're muttering about me welcoming them. I came to this earth to save them, to seek them out, to give my life for them. He's the shepherd in the first parable who who get, thinks nothing of his own safety so he can find the sheep. He's the woman in the second parable who lights a lamp, gets down on her hands and knees searching for this little coin. Jesus didn't come to this world, brothers and sisters, to hang out. And hey, if someone's in need, maybe I'll help them out a little bit. I don't mind to chip in. No, he came in search of sinners. He came in Luke 19, he says, to seek and to save that which is lost. He came for the dumb ones and the insignificant ones. Jesus came to give his own life in exchange for theirs. But the third parable is the most interesting. In the first parable, the shepherd searches. In the second, the woman goes to find But who goes to find the younger brother in that distant land? Who goes there? No one. The sheep goes off. The shepherd gets him. The coin is lost. The woman finds it. The son goes off. And he's all alone. What's going on here? Well, enter the older brother. 
Maybe you know the story. The older brother. The younger brother returns. And he returns into the welcoming and joyous arms of his father who ran out to greet him. And rather than being treated like a servant, which is how he thought he he was going to be treated, he was treated like an arriving foreign dignitary, like a king from a distant land, and he's given the royal treatment, kill the fatted calf. And the homecoming party is rocking when the father realizes that someone's not sharing in the joy. There's someone missing here. There's There's obviously a problem. Who's not there? It's the older son. The older son's outside. He's on the sidelines. He's not sharing in the joy. In fact, he's angry with his father for showing such kindness and love for the younger son. And the parallel, of course, is clear. The older son standing on the sidelines is the Pharisee and teacher of the law standing on the sidelines and muttering. The older son is the self-righteous person who does not suppose that they need to be saved. Well, the father, not only did he run out for his younger son, he runs out for his older son as well. And he pleads with him to come and share in his joy. But the son should not only do that, he should, of course, if his younger brother comes, he should have shared in his joy. But, But what should have that older brother have done in the first place? When that younger son took off to a distant land, should he have not pursued his brother? Who is in a better position to speak to that younger brother and to call him home than the older brother, the one whom he's shared a home with, the one who has grown up with him, the one who is a peer who can speak with him? But the older brother didn't. He didn't go. And now he won't come in either. In fact, no one went. To get the younger son. Or did they? Who did follow the younger son out to that foreign land? Who was with the younger son when he made himself a slave and ate with the pigs? You know from the story. It's the narrator. It's the narrator. It's the one telling the story. As the younger son goes, he goes with him. As things go bad, he's right there with him. The narrator is there along with the younger son every step of the journey. And who's telling this story? Jesus is. Jesus is. He was there when the son left. He was there when the son wasted himself. He was there when the son came to the end of himself and repented in the pigsty. And he was there as the son was welcomed into the arms of his loving father. Jesus is the finder. Jesus is the one who searches out and seeks and saves the lost. He's the one who finds lost sinners and brings them back into the presence and joy of their Father in heaven. And that's what happens, isn't it? When Jesus gets to work and finds sinners and brings them back to their Father, there is joy. When sinners repent, heaven erupts 
with joy. When the lost are found, heaven erupts with joy. That's the, the point of each one of these parables. After the sheep is found, they erupt with joy. The coin is found, they erupt with joy. The son is found, they erupt with joy. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are on the sidelines muttering, well, people are being saved. Well, the finder is finding and saving and heaven is rejoicing. Jesus is saying to him, you guys are out to lunch. You guys don't have a clue what's going on here. You've got it all wrong. Stop with your overpious moralisms and join the party. The lost are being found. Sinners are being saved. In chapters 5 and 19, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. Remember, that wasn't just welcoming them and dining with them and teaching them. No, for Jesus, what did that mean? What did it mean that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? For him, it meant his life. That's what it took. It meant going to the cross for them. Because after all, they were sinners. They were really sinners. They might have been outcasts and misfits. But like everyone else listening to Jesus as well, they were sinners at heart. At heart, they were living in rebellion against God. They were guilty before a holy and righteous judge, the Father in heaven. And that guilt would have still hung over them and been with them as an unbearable burden. Jesus came then to take that burden off their shoulders, to put it on himself, and then to nail it to the cross when he died for their sins. And as Jesus died on that cross, bearing the burden of the sin of every sinner who repents, heaven watched. Thousands and thousands of angels watched. God the Father watched. And as Jesus paid for those sins, all heaven rejoiced. Heaven erupted into a song that shook the earth, broke open the graves. God the Father threw a party. And he rejoices every single time a sinner repents. Every single time the lost are found, whether they're the dumb ones or the ones just like everyone else, the prodigal daughters or the self-righteous sons, God the Father lifts up his cloaks and runs to meet his humbled child and rejoices and calls everyone else to share in his joy. The theme of all these parties or all these parables is the party at the end. But I wonder if you got this sense when you heard these parables that Wasn't this party a little much? Everyone listening probably would have thought that. These parties are are a little much. Shepherds, they rescue sheep all the time. They joyfully carry them back. But, But do they really go home and welcome, call everyone together for a big party? It's just one sheep. And a woman, okay, she loses a day's wages. It's pretty significant. But all her friends and neighbors for a big party? When I was in high school, one time I was digging around in my wallet and I found a paycheck from the the previous summer. Not a day's wages, but a whole week. I didn't throw a party. I just put it back in my wallet and deposit it in the bank later. The Pharisees, 
probably, were probably wondering about this party and the prodigal son. Well, don't even get them started on that. Here's the, the father welcoming him back. They weren't even sure he should have done that in the first place. Was this son worth all the joy? Was that coin worth all the joy? Is that sheep worth the big party? And the answer is yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's the point. The sheep and the coin and the son were worth the joy because the joy is proportional to the significance of that which is lost. To him who's finding it. The joy is proportional to the significance of that which is lost to him who's finding it. The shepherd cares about that sheep. He does not desire that any one of them are lost. And so he finds it and his joy cannot be contained. He cares about, she cares about that, that coin. The woman does. And she desires that that coin will be found. And so no party is too big. Nothing brought more joy to that father than seeing his son walking down that dusty road to his father's home. And so the joy was not disproportional at all. It was in every way proportional to the love of God the Father and the Son whom he sent to find the lost. One of the Father's sheep has returned, and we celebrate that today. We sing, we will sing, with hundreds of voices uniting in praise, but brothers and sisters, our songs are drowned out by the song in heaven every time a sinner repents. This morning, Natasha professed her faith. She declared, if you heard it in the form, who she stands with. She stands with the sinners who have been found. And her story is incredible because you may not know this, but she was the first female child baptized in this church. She truly has been lost and is found. She's returned. Why? Well, you can probably think of all kinds of reasons, but it comes down to this. Because Jesus Christ went with her, found her, and brought her back. Because God the Father loved her, and by placing his seal of baptism on her, promised her that no matter how lost she might become or feel at any point, if she would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that which her baptism communicated to her, she would be forgiven. She would be saved. And today, Nadia, Nadia, sorry, Sebastian and Carly are all marked with that same seal. And it's a sign and seal of the work of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the savior of sinners, and the cause of heaven's joy. That's what baptism communicates, that Jesus Christ seeks and saves the lost. And so, dear congregation, we turn return to you. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the lost that has been found by Jesus? Or are you the self-righteous son, too overcome by duty, by merit, by morals, by pride, to acknowledge that you too are, in fact, a lost and found sinner as well? The last of the three parables goes beyond the party and leaves us with the older brother standing outside. We don't know what he's going to do. It's a challenge to those Pharisees. As Jesus ends that parable, it's not complete. It's not finished. What's going to happen? It's a challenge. It's an invitation by Jesus 
to those people listening. Will you come in? Will you come in and join the party? Or are you going to remain outside in your pride and spurn the Father's love? Dear congregation, have you been sitting here this morning and thinking that you are not the sinner in the parable? That you are not the one who's in need of repentance? Heaven rejoices when proud hearts are humbled. Heaven erupts when sinners repent. Hear the call of God and enter into that generous, lavish, over-the-top love of God the Father for every sinner who repents. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.